The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What's up, Miles? I guess you're playing Sunday. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> he was in my office. He said, just prom- promise me we're going to the playoffs. We're going, right? And, and you know you know me, I'm just like, yeah, one game at a time. One game at a time, one game at a time. But I knew he was going to be out for a little bit, so I, I put, you know, I kind of said, okay, promise. I promise you right there. I feel like it's the first time I've ever played the same team three times in a year, so it's a little bit different for me. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest with you. I'm just going to attack it as a game as it is and, and uh, try to play as good as I possibly can. This is not one-and-done uh, situation, so if you go in, you go home. Um, put all your feelings aside because nobody cares if you're tired or That's what we're here to do, and I'm willing to take anybody along with me because I am not ready to go. Oh, baby, let's go. Uh, stagnation, we here. We ready. I'm so excited that um, we're back in Arrowhead Stadium. You know, um, uh, it's nothing like it, man. The best fans in America. Let's go! Woo! Oh, man! Woo! Thank you, Chris. Chris Jones is ready to go. Are you ready to go? PFTPM, getting you ready for super duper wild card weekend. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio, two games Saturday, three games Sunday, and then Monday night. I guess we'll have a chance to talk about the Monday night game. The Monday night game feels like part of it all, but it. I, I keep forgetting we have Monday to talk about that game. Isn't that kind of a weird? We've never done this before where – we feel like we have to talk about all the games, but we still have all day Monday. As we look back on five, we have one still to go. This is a new experience for all of us. We're getting used to it, as is everyone else. And I say good afternoon to Miles Simmons. We are officially another Friday closer to death, but more importantly, another Friday closer to Super Bowl 56. It is coming, Miles. We are coming to your city. I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah. Get ready. You're going to pull your guitars Get ready. and sing me a country song? Flying higher than Possibly. a jet airliner? Yeah, well, if you want a little bang in your yin-yang, then just come along. I'll provide that for you. <laughs> uh, you know, I would keep going, but I don't – the only the only words I know to the song are we're coming to your city, so I should just let you sing it. I can just I can Well, just the Raiders are flying and... to Cincinnati where they're all going to get really happy. You know, I this, this is literally one of the only country songs that I know and like. It's uh, But I, I like that song, man. That's a great song. Is it even a country song? Is it outlaw country? Is it outlaw country? Because outlaw country, there's country and then there's outlaw country. And I don't know if I can handle outlaw country. Well, I don't know if it's outlaw country. I don't really know what outlaw country is. But it's like, I mean, that's that song is a good country song. Honky Tonk, Badonkadonk, that's another one. I don't really consider Chris Stapleton uh, country. But I know that some people do. To me, he's more rock and roll. But I really like Chris Stapleton, too. Yeah. Another informative episode of PFTPM as we spend the entire hour exclusively on football and nothing else. I go through periodic, and it happens about once a year. My, my music tastes are fairly defined, and they, they migrate around to certain artists, and I'll just stream like every song that comes up, just like pick the artist and just let it go. And Johnny Cash has been my, 
my soundtrack of choice this week. And he is labeled officially in my streaming service, Outlaw Country. I still don't know what that means, but okay. uh, Johnny Cash, the great Johnny Cash. It's just weird to think that his music still, I, I just think part of it still resonates today, uh, all these years after he, he died. And somewhere he has to be, I don't know, grateful, proud. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, unlike <laughs> us, he's already reached the point where another Friday closer to death ultimately <laughs> achieved the end goal. So he knows things okay. we don't. Who knows? Right. Who knows? Yes. Let's move yeah. forward. Well, Let's he's probably forward. stepped into that ring of fire, right? Man, man, hopefully he didn't go down, down, down. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he didn't waste his time singing all those gospel songs when uh, when he was alive. Uh, regardless, uh, maybe he knows the winners. Maybe we could do a Johnny Cash seance. I got a Ouija board here somewhere. We could do a Johnny Cash seance and we could get the winners so we would know exactly what's going to happen this weekend. That would be a fair trade for all the times I've listened to Folsom Prison Blues over the years. All right. Uh, the Texans. Let's, before we focus on the properly functioning teams that will actually be playing this weekend, let's, let's have some more fun with the teams that stink, including the Houston Texans. Here is Nick Casario, general manager of the Texans, managing to keep a straight face for the entirety of the half hour or so that he spoke to the media today after making the very difficult and taxing and trying decision, the most difficult decision of his life, to fire Coach David Culley after only one year on the job. Here's Casario. His business is twofold, right? It's not it's results and it's process. So process leads to results. So how can we establish and implement some processes from the beginning? Um, and I think when you look around at the building and the foundation that's been put in place, you know, David had a lot to do with that, or has had a lot to do with that. So um, again, it, it was a difficult decision. It's probably one of the hardest decisions I've had to make in my life on a personal level. Um, but that's the position that I was put in, and ultimately. Um, the McNairs have bestowed upon me the authority to do what I feel is best for the Houston Texans organization. When you look at the way we played and the effort and I would say the toughness and, you know, the consistency and the competitive spirit that I would say that, that we played with, forget about the execution, the X and O's for a minute. I'd say a lot of that, you know, should be attributed to David and his attitude and his mindset. So that that hasn't changed from the day he walked in the door to the minute, you know, I met with him yesterday directly. So, again, to Mark's question, I think philosophically there were some things in the end that you know, maybe we saw a little bit differently. So that was really the impetus for the decision that was made yesterday. Isn't, isn't it stunning to think that if there, there were some philosophical things that maybe we saw a little differently? So instead of trying to work those things out, like normal human beings would do. You know, we really value what you did here. You performed well under adverse circumstances. The team shows a level of toughness, and there's respect, and there's admiration. But there are some some minor philosophical issues on which we don't see eye to eye, and we believe that the only appropriate way to deal with issues like that is to fire you. I The, the nonchalance, it reminds me of Matt Rule when he was talking about the firing of Joe Brady. Like, well, you yes. know, we just needed to make, yeah, I just, you know, instead of trying to work it out with the people you have, people to whom you have committed millions of dollars, you just tell them to get out. It, 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 I don't know whether this is part and parcel of the fact that they constantly fire players, because that's what football teams do. They get numb to it. What do you do? You're going to have 90 guys 
who are employed by you to be football players. And then Labor Day weekend, or right about that time, a few days earlier now, so people can actually enjoy Labor Day weekend in the NFL, they fire 37 of them. And I know there's a step before they get there, but by the end of August, 37 out of 90 guys will be fired. And then it's a constant churn all year long. This guy's fired. That guy's fired. This guy's hired. That guy's fired. And I don't know if the ease with which general managers do that with players makes it easier to do it with coaches. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And and I don't buy it at the end of the day. I think that everything that that guy said today is bull bleep. Thank you. I think that they're lying. I think they hired David Culley with the plan on firing him after one year. I don't buy any of what Nick Casario said. He did a great job of feeding us a line of BS today with a straight face. Well done. Congratulations, Nick. But I, don't, I just don't, I, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. And he may not like that. I don't care. I don't believe him. It doesn't add up to me. Because if it really did come down to some minor philosophical differences, normal human beings would work them out and keep a valued employee on the team as the coach. Well, especially after they went through all that they went through in the offseason, they deconstructed that roster, and he still won the same amount of games that the 2020 team won. I mean, this team, yeah, it went 4-13, and 13, but let's just talk about some of the things that happened over the course of the season. And I think you can start with Davis Mills' development over those last five games. I mean, he completed 68% of his passes, just over 1,250 passing yards, nine touchdowns, two picks, passer rating over 100. Those are very good, solid numbers, and that I think you can impartially attribute to David Culley because he was there. You know, he had uh, – Davis Mills had 300 yards, three touchdowns against the Texans in week 18. They were fighting. They made the Texans truly earn that number one overall seed. So I think, you know, Casario said a lot without saying anything at all today, right? And I kind of agree with you that a lot of this is BS. We can say that the Texans are dysfunctional, but I, I frankly believe that this is exactly the way they wanted the season to function in that, you know, you just kind of get through it. You know, you let David Cully do whatever he's going to do and you get rid of him. Frankly, he probably overperformed the level that they thought that he was going to. And now it's like, oh, well, we kind of have to justify getting rid of this guy because even though you could say, you know, they only won four games, like it was one of the worst rosters in the NFL. Again, these guys beat the Chargers when they had so many dudes on the COVID list and Justin Herbert's still playing. I mean, there's just, there's not much you can say other than this is clearly some sort of plan that they already had. And David Culley didn't really have much of a chance. And I'm surprised that they ultimately went through with this plan because Nick Casario was able, well, I, 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 the reason I started to go the other way was because David Culley allowed Nick Casario to be head coach puppet master. Uh, Unless Nick Casario just doesn't like that. Maybe he felt like he had to do it. You know, for years, Nick Casario in New England had a headset on game days. He did not have a headset to speak. He had a headset to listen. Now, if someone would ask him a question, he would answer it, obviously. But he didn't have it as a proactive measure for him to contribute to the discourse among the coaches. With the Texans, he was involved. He was in David Culley's ear. He was telling David Culley, along with Romeo Cornell, who uh, had been the interim coach last year and and, uh, is no longer on the staff per se, but he's a senior advisor. They They were helping David Culley. They were actively involved. And, you know, if you have a coach that 
you know, really, any other coach is going to say, no, 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 that's not how it works. You don't tell me what to yeah. do. You either let me coach the team or, or you don't let me coach the team. So that's when I started to think that maybe they would give this Cully thing a try, that maybe they were wrong, that maybe Cully had overachieved, that maybe their plan, you know, the dysfunctional team that comes up with a functional plan finds out its plan was dysfunctional because David Cully ended up being better than we thought. There's a premise of a bad movie in here somewhere. Where, you know, it's almost like Major well, League. Major League. About yes, your exactly. Cleveland Indians, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly we, 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 are, we are hiring David Culley with the plan that he will be horrible, that we'll have the first overall pick in the draft, and that we'll go hire somebody else next year after we begin the more meaningful process of rebuilding this organization. But we don't want to win this year. And then all of a sudden, David Culley starts winning football games, and maybe they change their plan to say, hey, we got a decent coach here. Let's keep him. I, I just... I, I the whole thing to me stinks, and uh, and you know somebody raised the question. Well, you know Nick Casario is really taking a chance here because you only get to hire two general managers, or general manager only gets to hire two coaches before he's on the hot seat. I don't know this one counts. I think it was a mulligan. I think it was a red shirt year for everybody, and David mm-hmm. Culley was the the personification of the red shirt that Nick Casario and Jack Easterby wore. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, what evidence is there to say that Cal McNair would get rid of Jack Easterby and or Nick Casario just because this next head coach doesn't work out? I I, I don't really buy that. Um, just based on what we've learned about that organization and the way things are functioning in the last year, year and a half or so, I just I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. And the bottom line is. And I mean, I've pissed everybody else off this week, so I'll go ahead and say it. Cal McNair is the Sultan. Jack Easterby is Jafar. Plain and simple. And until the spell is broken by someone, that Cal McNair stops listening to Jafar, Easterby's going to run that show. Whoever Easterby wants to be the GM is going to be the GM. And if Easterby decides at some point Casario is not the guy, you know what's going to happen? Casario is not going to be the guy anymore. I think Easterby is the guy who who realized once he really started taking a lot of public flack last year, when people started to, to scratch and look at his background and, you know, some reports started to come out about his ways and his shtick and he, he, he got the smart. Stand-up comedy he disappeared. routines and all that stuff. He disappeared. Right. Seeing, yeah. yeah. He, he disappeared. He knew the only way to survive was to assume the lowest profile possible, and that's what he's done. But he's done it, and it's worked. And, and I think he's ultimately the puppet master. He's ultimately the guy in charge of the Texans because he has Cal McNair under his spell. And uh, Texans fans, sorry, but this is how it works. This is how it works. You can't fire your owner. You just got to deal with it until he decides to hand the reins to somebody else in the family or sell the team to someone else. Fritz Pollard Alliance not happy with what's happened this week, nor should it be. The group that's responsible for promoting the hiring and retention of minority coaches and executives issuing a statement today, and this comes from Rod Graves, the executive director of the Fritz Pollard Alliance. The recent dismissals of Brian Flores and David Culley is a disappointment given efforts to increase the representation of black coaches as head coaches in the NFL. The fact that we stand today with only one black head coach makes clear that the current system does not provide a sustainable pathway for the growth in numbers of minorities as head coaches. For many, the time for progress is now. With 11 openings, the NFL has an opportunity to demonstrate its commitment to diversity of leadership. Eight head coaching positions vacant, three general manager jobs open, and we'll see what happens, Miles. Look, the the bottom line is they can put whatever procedures they want in place. 
to require a certain number of interviews and to require a process of deliberate. It feels like everybody is operating in a more deliberate way this year than usual. But at the end of the day, these owners are going to hire whoever they want. And mm-hmm. I asked somebody today who understands the process very well and has a lot of experience with the process. What percentage of teams do you think know when they fire their current head coach who the next one will be? And the answer was 70 to 80 percent. Now, Peter King and I talked about this earlier. He thinks this year that number is lower, that these teams really are engaging in a broader search, a meaningful search, an open search, or maybe they're just doing a better job of creating the impression that they are. But uh, regardless, the owners are going to hire who they want to hire. And I don't think any amount of pressure from the Fritz Pollard Alliance or the league office is going to change things. The only thing that's ever going to change it, and here's the former lawyer in me, if you haven't heard, coming out. <laughs> litigation or the credible threat of litigation is the only thing that is going to change a status quo where all you have to do is point to the outcome, point to the numbers over the last 40 years. And it's obvious that somehow, some way, the current system has bias baked into it that manifests itself over and over and over again. But until they get sued, they're not going to change. It was the threat of litigation that brought us the Rooney Rule in the first place 20 years ago. And wh- where have we really come in 20 years? What, what progress has really been made in 20 years, Miles? Well, I don't know that there has been much of any. And you, you just said what I was exactly going to say. It was only the threat of litigation that brought about the Rooney Rule in the first place. And, you know, it's so interesting, Mike, because – I think nothing brings out the racist like pointing out systemic racism, you know, because yesterday, as I think many people did, I pointed out on Twitter that Mike Tomlin was the lone remaining black coach in the NFL, right? And we can call it active, right? Because obviously one or more could be hired um, in this coaching cycle, especially with there being eight openings right now. But, you know, the funniest thing that got thrown back in my face was somebody that was like, oh, I bet you just couldn't wait to post this because there are eight openings, so why don't you just wait? And while you wait, go take a trip to Chicago and go stop the violence oh, yes. that claims so many yes. black guys. What? Where the hell did that come from? We're talking about head coaching vacancies. Are you going to go tell me to like go stop violence in Chicago? It's unbelievable the way people act about stuff that doesn't really even affect their lives, but really it's just the systemic racism that is so clear and so obvious. I mean, and it comes from the shadow guys, the egg guys, the guys with like 10 numbers in their Twitter handles. It's like, dude, you're you're not going to get one of these jobs anyway, you jerk. So I don't, I don't really understand like why people just cannot handle when facts are pointed out to them. How dare you say or do anything that will make people the slightest bit uncomfortable about their belief systems or the history that we all have as a shared people that is undeniable, but the easiest way to avoid ever having to feel like maybe we should improve is just to ignore the history altogether and act like it never even happened. All right, let's move through some of the other news that relates very significantly to the games to be played this weekend. For the Chiefs, running back Clyde Edwards-Alaire with a shoulder injury will not play on Sunday night. That is not good news for the Kansas City Chiefs. They need him against the Pittsburgh Steelers and beyond. Daryl Williams, the starter in Edwards-Alaire absence is expected to play barring a setback. Tyree Kill is the one that I'm curious about because we saw how he hobbled last week, and I'm surprised he played at all in that Broncos game after he was hobbling around with a heel that he apparently injured in pregame warm-ups. If he has any type of aggravation, if he's not available, that's just one of those one of those little things. It adds up in, in the Steelers' favor. If he's not 100% or if he has to leave the game, 
that's it's just miles i know it's a 12 and a half point margin i don't know why because i think the steelers are dangerous and if the chiefs don't have tyree kill at 100 percent, the steelers are even more dangerous yeah they are dangerous but what i would say is daryl williams has played well you know, if you don't have Clyde edwards alaire you still have uh, Travis Kelsey. I think we've seen Demarcus Robinson, Nicole Hardman continue to step up. And they still have Patrick Mahomes. So I, I, I think they're going to be okay. I really do. But you're right. If Tyreek Hill does have to go out, that's going to be a problem. The other guy I would say could step up is Derek Gore because he's had some really good performances. I mean, that last game that they had against Pittsburgh, 104 yards from scrimmage on 15 touches. So... This is an offense that has different weapons, different guys that can step up in different ways. I think they're still going to be all right, but I'm not counting out Pittsburgh either. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you won't count them out. Thank you for not counting them out. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and, and I'm not, look, I, I'm going to pick them to win. I already have picked them to win. Um, and I know that it's going to require, it's going to require a, a, a very thin threading of the needle, not quite, you know, camel through the eye of a needle, but, you know, something pretty big is going to have to fit through the needle for it to happen. Good news for the Steelers, Najee Harris with an oboe injury, listed as questionable. He fully participated in practice. Obviously, they need him to play well. He had 19 carries for 93 yards in the loss to the Chiefs in Week 16. I'm surprised he carried the ball that much. I don't have to, I have to go back and watch that game again. Did the Steelers just decide they were going to cry uncle? They were down so early in the game that uh, it was a blowout, and uh, they can't afford to fall behind. If they fall behind 14 points, 10 points even, it, it, it's done. They have to keep it close, and Najee Harris will help them keep it close, hopefully. And we're still waiting for the possibility, Miles, of Juju Smith-Schuster mm-hmm. being added to the active roster. That was a surprise yesterday when he returned to practice. We thought he was done for the year. I think they thought they were done as of Week 18. Now they're alive. He's alive. If he's healthy... That's a difference maker that the Steelers need as you're trying to work the the short areas, if you're Ben Roethlisberger, a reliable target, a guy he knows well, a key third down, some toughness on offense. That would be a huge boost if they get him. Oh, totally would be. And, you know, players out of Pittsburgh have said that he looks pretty good this week. Deontay Johnson mentioned that in one of his uh, media availabilities. So that would certainly be a boost for them. And really the way that Pittsburgh can win this game is if they kind of muddy the waters, right? I mean, as you just said, if they get down by 14 or more, then that's going to be kind of hard for them to be able to come back and just score all those points. But if they can keep things close, if they get the turnovers, if they control the ball, that's their path to victory. So they need Harris to do that for sure. But if they get Juju Smith-Schuster, that's definitely a way to extend drives as well. Eagles running back Miles Sanders says he's absolutely playing on Sunday against the Buccaneers. He had the hand injury. Coach Nick Sirianni says that Sanders will have no limitations. He missed the last two regular season games with that broken hand. That's big for the Eagles. Look for the Eagles. They've got to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, have long drives, and keep Tom Brady on the sidelines drinking Gatorade or whatever approved beverage by the TB12 method he's allowed to consume. Maybe it's just water, filtered water, triple filtered water. I don't know. Keep him on the sideline with his big. Keep him on the sideline with that big ass jug that he brings to press conferences and don't let him on the field because then if you limit his number of opportunities, there's a greater sense of urgency when he's on the field. Maybe you press a little bit more. And He's just not as comfortable with his array of weapons as he was a year ago. He gravitates toward his guys. I'm not saying the Eagles have a great chance here, but look, same same analysis that applies to Pittsburgh applies to the Eagles. You get an uppercut early, and let, let, let me tell you this: you 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 don't you don't know this reference. 
but I've made it several times today, and I'm going to make it for the benefit <laughs> okay. of the people out there. George McFly, key moment in Back to the Future. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but I've given you months to watch this now. George McFly closes his eyes, balls up his fists, and swings it and catches Biff with a roundhouse, a lucky punch. I mean, if the Eagles can do that early to the Bucks, if the Steelers can do that early to the Chiefs, that's what gives them a chance. It's the George McFly play. Close your eyes, ball up your fist. There's a great time. The camera, the camera cuts to George McFly curling up this skinny-ass little fist and just swinging it and hitting him. And if you can pull that off, we've seen it before in playoff games. If you can pull that off, you got a chance. That's all I'm saying is if you can pull it off early, you got a chance. Well, the, the weather also could be a factor, right? I mean, it's going to be rainy. It's supposed to be scattered thunderstorms uh, over there in Tampa this weekend. So that, I think, is pretty advantageous for the Eagles just based on the way they play offense, based on the way they want to run the ball. I mean, it's not necessarily so for Miles Sanders because, I mean, if you're coming off a broken hand and you got to make sure that thing is high and tight, I don't necessarily know how good that's going to be for you. But I, I just feel like there's a chance that the Eagles can do some good things if the ball's wet, right? And then they pick off Brady and they're making him uncomfortable. Josh Sweat's also questionable for them after missing practice all week uh, with an illness. So that could also be something that affects things because he is one of the Eagles leaders in sacks this year. So yeah, the, the, if the Eagles control the ball, like you said, with Pittsburgh, it, it makes it different. But I don't know, man. I, I think that Brady is still motivated. And as long as he's got Gronkowski, he's got a security blanket out there. Gronkowski and Mike Evans are the key. Leonard Fournette is back from into reserve, but he's a game-time call against the Eagles, along with linebacker Levante David. That's not good news. They need Fournette. He's one of Brady's guys, and yes. Brady has been gravitating toward his guys this year. Defensively, Bruce Arians said today he feels pretty good about both Shaq Barrett and JPP playing. They have missed some time. That's big. Bad news, though, receiver Cyril Grayson, who has had some good moments for the Bucks. He's out with a hamstring injury. Ronald Jones won't play. All the more reason for them to have for net available otherwise it's Keyshawn Vaughn and Le'Veon Bell for crying out loud as the main options in the running game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, last one real quickly J.J. Watt trending toward playing against the Rams on Monday night we'll talk plenty more about that on Monday but th th that that Monday night game I'm glad that that's the Monday night game I thought that the Cowboys game whoever it was against would be the Monday night game because that's the, the the gigantic rating game um, but I think the most compelling game, the game that I am the most, I don't know which way it's going to go game, is that one, Cardinals and Rams. I'd say so. Yeah, I think that that one's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to being there at SoFi on Monday night. You know, first playoff game that's going to be in that stadium. And, you know, the fans will probably be rocking and all those different kinds of things. But if they get J.J. Watt back, like I, I have a hard time believing he's going to be like peak J.J. Watt I, based on a couple things like, A, his age. You know, I mean, he was pretty effective when he was out there before, but it's still, he's getting up there in the age. And like that shoulder injury was really not that long ago. He had surgery just over a couple months ago. So his presence is going to be felt if he's on the field, but it's still like, man, I don't, I don't know how peak JJ Watt he's really going to be. I agree with you. And also the Cardinals really have fallen apart in recent weeks. Mm -hmm. I think the win over the Cowboys was an outlier. They're going to have their yes. hands full with the Rams. This is game number three for those two teams. And the Cardinals won in L.A. in week four. The Rams won that Monday night game last month in, uh, in uh, Arizona. So we'll see. But we'll be talking plenty about that on Monday. When we return, 
we will uh, take a closer look at the wild card weekend from the perspective of take your pick. We hope you take your pick and choose to stick around for more PFTPM. We'll be back with that right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is there any effect on how you, how you step into throws, anything like that? No, I don't think so. You know, I think I should be feeling really good on Monday. Um, I'd show it to you, but I don't want to do that. Um, that's for other guys to do. But, uh, no, I, uh, I'll keep my toes to myself in this one. But uh, it's, uh, it's doing good. I should be all right. Oh, why did we have to Matthew Stafford, and there it is. Yeah, oh, thank you. Enjoy your dinner out there. If you're sitting down with a nice hamburger or some French fries, thick cut steak fries, yeah, enjoy mm. that. Dip those babies in ketchup. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say the only one upset about Matthew Stafford not putting his foot up there was Rex Ryan. Yeah, there we go. You know, Aaron Rodgers made that Rex Ryan reference too when he was on McAfee's show talking about the the foot photo. Uh, and somebody pointed out to me, and, and can we? I don't want to put it up no, again. No, but can no, we put it up no, again? No, put it up no, again. Put it up no. again. Because if he really did have a broken toe, wouldn't there be bruising? Wouldn't there be discoloration because the blood gathers under the skin and it's, it takes a while for it to dissipate? That doesn't look like somebody with a broken toe. All right. Uh, take your pick. Wild card weekend. Super duper wild card weekend edition. Quarterbacks making Ooh. their first playoff start that you trust the most. And there are five of them making their playoff debuts. Derek Carr, Joe Burrow, Mac Jones, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. It's the most in one weekend, tied for the most, five making their debut since 2002. Who do you trust the most? I guess that makes sense since there's now uh, two additional playoff teams. Uh, But I'd say with, you know, with apologies to Derek Carr, it's got to be Joe Burrow. I just, I love the way that Cincinnati's been playing, you know, the way that they went and beat uh, the Kansas City Chiefs in their home stadium, I feel like is just going to give them that little push that they need. They got some rest last week when they were playing the Cleveland Browns, and I don't know, man. Maybe it's just the swag that Joe Burrow has and the way he carries himself, but it also, I guess, is the weapons too, because, I mean, I I would take Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, you know, over guys like Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, right? And then also Joe Mixon over Josh Jacobs. I, I, I just, I feel like they're in a really good spot this weekend and Joe Burrow is going to perform real well way too early to compare Joe Burrow to anyone but I'll go ahead and compare him to someone from my youth I remember when the 49ers finally arrived in 81 with Joe Montana they weren't supposed Mm -hmm. to be good they weren't supposed to be there they weren't supposed to 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 do what they did that that was the tail end of the hammerlock that the Cowboys, Steelers, Raiders, and Dolphins had on an entire decade. That game was really a changing of the guard game. And and for it's it's not going to happen in the wild card round for the Bengals. This is something that they would do against the Chiefs in the AFC yes. Championship or against the Patriots down the line. But my point is this. The Bengals have not gotten the memo that they're not supposed to be good. Joe Burrow doesn't want to hear 
that the Bengals are the Bengals, just like the Browns is the Browns from last year. This is a different franchise, a different team, a different vibe, and I, I trust him more than any of the others because he just has a level of determination that is rare, and he can take that determination and turn it into action. He's got that moxie. He's got that attitude with the baby face, and he just goes out and he does it, and he gets it done, so I have my faith in him. Coach making their postseason debut that you trust the most, Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach of the Raiders, Zach Taylor of the Bengals, Nick Sirianni of the Eagles, or Cliff Kingsbury of the Arizona Cardinals. Who do you trust the most? Uh, I guess I'm going to go with Zach Taylor, and we're just, you know, Bengals heavy right now. But, look, I mean, part of it is his quarterback, right? I mean, if you trust the quarterback – you're going to trust the head coach. But also part of it too is that Zach Taylor got some good experience when he was on Sean McVay's staff of coaching in the postseason. He was on that staff in 2017, 2018. Obviously the Rams went to the Super Bowl in 2018. And so I feel like the way he rested his guys last week in order to get them prepared for this week, I think he's going to make some good decisions. And think about some of these big games that they've had before where like they beat the Steelers on that Monday night last year. Like there's, there's something there I feel like with Zach Taylor. So I think we're going to see it this weekend. Beyond Zach Taylor, I'm torn. I like what the Raiders are doing with Rich Bisaccia. I don't know how much I trust a guy who entered the season, not as a head coach. I'm impressed with what Nick Sirianni's done this year because he has, taken his preferred desires and approach and whatever and he's and he's adapted to what his team does well he's adjusted on the fly more than any other coach this year in my opinion and the ability and the willingness to adapt on the fly will serve him well as a playoff game unfolds because he's gonna have to adapt on the fly as that game unfolds if he wants to win it player with the most pressure on him this weekend miles who's the first one that comes to mind for you Well, it's not even a guy that's going to play really on the weekend. It's that Monday night game, and it's Matthew Stafford. I mean, just the simple fact uh, that what they've done over the course of the year with the Rams, I mean, they brought him in to win playoff games like this because they didn't feel like Jared Goff could do it. So, you know, last week you see him throw the interception there at the end of the game. He's trying to target Odell Beckham Jr. there on the deep route, and he's thrown so many interceptions. He's had fumbles that have, you know, been lost. But Matthew Stafford's also really made some plays and stepped up when they needed him to do so the most. The end of that Baltimore game was really it showed some stones there, especially on the fourth down throw to Odell Beckham Jr., what ended up being the touchdown throw to o. Beckham, Odell Beckham Jr. as well. So this is what they brought him there for. He's got to be able to get it done. And I, I, there's a part of me that feels like there's some more pressure on Sean McVay than Matthew Stafford, but, I mean, as the veteran QB who was brought in to win these games, he's got to be able to do it. It's just funny when you hear the things Sean McVay saying about Matthew Stafford now when you consider all of the stuff Sean McVay said about Jared Goff not long before he decided to flush Jared Goff down the commode. So I'm not okay. saying that the Rams, if they would lose this game, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that, that there will be major changes if the Rams lose this game, but let's face it, if they lose this game, They will have given up two first-round picks and a third-round pick for a quarterback that didn't get them as far as they got last year with Jared Goff. And it will be an abject failure. All the moves they've made, the Teddy KGB stuff, Vaughn Miller, Odo Beckham Jr., Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl or bust, and you don't even make it to the divisional round, that will be a major disappointment, and that will be on Sean McVay's permanent record. So I think the pressure's on Stafford, and it's on McVay, and I also think it's on Jimmy Garoppolo because I think Jimmy Garoppolo's Mm – $25 $25 million in 2022 is tied directly to winning this game. He loses this game, 
Trey Lance next year. He wins this game. Jimmy G next year, quite possibly. Now it all depends upon how it finally ends. They could lose next weekend. He could throw four interceptions, and maybe what happened this weekend is forgotten. But I think he's under a ton of pressure. And he admitted this week, Miles, that he's he's been aware, and the uncertainty has been a factor all year long. Why wouldn't it be? I'm surprised course, yeah. he even thinks there's any uncertainty. It's just a matter of time before they throw him overboard. The question is when. <laughs> Yes, of course, it's a matter of not not if, but when. That's what happens when you trade all that draft capital to go up and get a quarterback at number three overall. And frankly, I mean, I kind of thought that Trey Lance would be playing by now, but Jimmy Garoppolo has been good enough, and maybe Trey Lance has been bad enough in practice that Kyle Shanahan just wants to roll with what he's got going right now. And look, Jimmy Garoppolo played really well late in that game last week against the Los Angeles Rams to get that win. So if he's playing to that level, then yeah, they can definitely go down into Dallas and win that game. I I, I think it's a combination. I look, they got exasperated with the fact that they couldn't count on Jimmy Garoppolo to stay healthy. Sure. So what happened this year? He ended up staying healthy most of the time. Missed a couple of games due to injury, but for the most part, he was healthy. And he's playing through injury now. But I also do believe that Trey Lance hasn't become what they had hoped he would be. And it's all word salad. It's all gobbledygook. And I know that the faithful get behind it because what choice do you have? You know, it's it's the mindset of this is our team and we support our team. And if you're somebody who isn't one of the people who support our team, we don't want to hear whatever you have to say, even if you're speaking the truth and we'd rather not deal with it. But I, I really do think the truth is Trey Lance hasn't developed the way they had hoped or he would be the quarterback by now. You don't give up all that stuff to deliberately and intentionally park the guy for two years. You don't. Right. Why would you do that? Why not stand pat and draft somebody with the 12th overall pick that is going to help you win this year? But they got to the point where they just couldn't deal with it anymore. The fact that they know Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get injured, they can't trust him, and then in certain big moments, they turn him into Bob Greasy and don't let him throw the football. So if, you know, you could say it's a good problem to have. I think the worst problem would be they win a couple of games and they commit to him again for another year because that's what's well, holding them back. At, at some point, well, they got to go with Trey Lance, and the sooner the better. Yes. Well, yeah, 49 and on probably won't love you hearing you say that, but it's probably and they already true. hate me. Yeah, hate that's me. okay. So does two and on and Everybody all those other people. Everybody Who doesn't hate you? They don't. I don't hate you, Mike. That's all right. You, you know, you got Thank me. You. I don't know how much that Thank means you. to you. <laughs> it's a small club. It's a small club. It's very exclusive. You're in an exclusive club, the people who don't hate me. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't care. I, uh, look, I'm, I'm not here – to be loved. I'm not going to play the game. And I know the people in the media who pander. And there are some who are very good when it comes to pandering. It's almost believable the way they pander to the fans for their own selfish purposes. I'm here because I want to inform, educate, maybe entertain. I don't know. Are you entertained? If you're not, there's plenty of other things you can be spending your time on. We appreciate you listening or watching this. But I, I just I try to cut through the bull. I almost said it. And, oh, don't and, get too comfortable now. And, and present the truth. And sometimes people don't want to hear the truth about their team. They want to be in this bubble where it's just constant reinforcement of the, the best-case scenario, the rose-colored glasses, and don't, don't talk about the things that we're secretly worried about because maybe if you don't talk about them, they won't happen. I, I don't think that's a way to follow a football team. I think you need to have your eyes open about the flaws of your team and, and speak in a full-throated voice about where you want the changes to be made in the hopes of making the team better. All right, last point before we take a break. Underdog, you have the most faith in this weekend to pull an ups, ups, upset. Miles, upset. 
underdog in whom you have the most faith to pull an upset who you got easy for you to say uh let's speaking of the faithful i mean i guess it's the 49ers i mean i don't think that this now is an original thought but they, you know when these, these matchups first came out that was the one that stood out to me where it's like all right well i think if the 49ers are at the top of their game they're playing really good defense nick bosa's getting after the qb debo samuels running the ball and catching the ball you got elijah mitchell running the ball well too like they're they're a team that i think can do something i i, I think that they can not just win this game but maybe they go on the road and they could possibly beat the green bay packers at lambeau too just based on how physical they are in their toughness um so that's the team i, I would say that i have the most faith in for an upset yeah, I, I agree, too. And, of course, the 49ers fans that want to be pissed at me won't acknowledge that I have the most faith in, most, most, most faith in them to pull the upset. Uh, Patriots are another team that I have a lot of faith yeah. in. I think I have more faith in the Patriots to pull the upset than the 49ers. But I've picked three of the road teams to win this weekend. Patriots, 49ers, Steelers. Most faith, Patriots, second, 49ers. Steelers, it's George McFly curling up his fist and taking a swing at Biff and hoping he connects. Let's take a break. All pro team was announced today. What does it reveal as it relates to the far more significant award of most valuable player? We'll discuss that next here on this Friday edition of PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Case on a deep drop. Steps up in the pocket. He'll fire to the right side. Come by Diggs. Stay up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Vikings would go to Philadelphia a week later, take a 7-0 lead, and then lose the game 38-7. But that's just a minor footnote on what was a magical moment four years ago today, the Minneapolis miracle. We spent several days, Miles, you weren't working with us at the time, but we broke down that defense. That was a, a horrible defense. Maybe that's why Dennis Allen can't get an interview. That was a horrible <laughs> defense. They had guys wasted, wasted in the middle of the yeah. field. You didn't need anybody in the middle of the field. Guard yeah. the boundaries. Guard the deep middle. You don't need anybody in the short middle of the field. It was a horrible defensive configuration by the Saints. It created the opening for Stephon Diggs to get behind the defensive back. Marcus Williams whiffed on the effort to disrupt the catch. And I remember thinking at the moment, just get out of bounds for the field goal. No, you got a straight shot to the end zone. It was amazing. Uh, and, of course, they didn't turn it into a Super Bowl win. They let Case Keenum go in free agency and went all in with Kirk Cousins. And frankly, I think the fact that they signed Kirk Cousins and paid him a second time is the reason why Rick Spielman was out the door this week along with Mike Zimmer. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that thing about getting out of bounds because that is exactly what I thought when he caught the ball because there was only like three seconds left or something. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, get out of bounds, get out of bounds, not knowing that he had a completely clear path to the end zone, especially because, you know, you're just watching it on television. So, yeah, that was a great game. Great job by Case Keenum. And it's funny, you know, because I've worked with him when he was with the L.A. Rams or I guess in the St. Louis Rams, too, in 15 and 16 and so you see him at NFL honors and it's just like, man, Case, you know, after everything you went through, man, it was really just, it was such a great moment to see him have that and, you know, leading the skull chant at the end there for the Vikings. Yeah. I think you're right. They probably should have kept Case Keaton. Might've been better off now. That was something I mentioned earlier this week when Mike Golick and I on PFT Live were talking about whether or not Rich Passaccia already has earned the coaching job with yeah. the Raiders. And Golick made a great point. He said, sometimes the answer is staring you right in the face. And mm-hmm. how do you not? How do you not give Basaccia a year or two? How did how did you not give Keenum a year or two? They were so smitten with Cousins, and Cousins has not delivered one playoff appearance in four years. And who knows? He may not even be the team's quarterback next year. Aaron Rodgers may or may not be the Packers' quarterback in 2022. We'll find out more when the season ends. We'll find out in a few weeks whether or not he's the MVP. But one of the details that came out today when the Associated Press. Based on 50 voters, the same 50 who vote on the other awards, including MVP, decided, 34 of them, Aaron Rodgers is the first team All-Pro quarterback, 16, went with Tom Brady. That's a pretty clear indication that Aaron Rodgers is going to be the MVP, Miles. Yeah, it definitely is because, look, I mean, he was the best quarterback on the best team, and we've been saying for months that that's probably going to be the player who's going to be eventually named MVP, and whether, you know, we want to call it most valuable vaccinated player or not, that's not really what it is. It's MVP, and so that's probably what he's going to be now. What I, I did think was interesting, Mike, is that it was a closer vote than what he got last year for that same first-team All-Pro recognition. And last year, he got 46 votes. Patrick Mahomes got two, and Josh Allen also got two. So it might be a closer vote for MVP this year as well. But I think it's pretty clear when the vote is as it was today, 34-16, to Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady, the only guys who got All-Pro votes there at quarterback. Yeah, it's probably going to be Aaron Rodgers for MVP as well. Albert Breer and I had a little bit of a disagreement on Twitter about that. Breer suggested that maybe Brady would flip some of the first-team All-Pro votes that went to Rodgers to him for MVP. I don't buy that. I don't think you're going to vote for Rodgers for MVP if you're not willing to vote for him for first-team All-Pro and vice versa. You're not going to. That, that's a weird right. compromise. Hey, I'm going to make Rodgers the first-team All-Pro quarterback, but somebody else who plays quarterback is the MVP. Now I could see if there was a non-quarterback that was an MVP candidate, and that's what happened to Matt Ryan a few years ago. I had somebody try to tell me that Matt Ryan had 40 votes for All-Pro quarterback and only 25 for MVP. The truth is he had 29 for All-Pro quarterback and 25 for MVP, and that year Ezekiel Elliott had six MVP votes. There can be other players who don't play quarterback who can take away a quarterback's All-Pro vote and make it an MVP vote. But I'd be stunned, stunned, if anyone who voted for Aaron Rodgers for first-team All-Pro doesn't vote for Aaron Rodgers for MVP, and vice versa. I think 34-16 should be the same breakdown. The only way either of those guys lose a vote is if somebody voted for T.J. Watt to be MVP. Or Cooper Cup. 
perhaps. Right. I mean, that's the only other one that would really come to mind there that could maybe siphon away some of those votes that Aaron Rodgers got for first team all pro. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Mike. I mean, it just doesn't seem like Aaron Rodgers is not going to be MVP at this point. I mean, if, if many people thought that Tom Brady, who did have an excellent season, by the way, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from what Brady's doing, especially at his age, goes over 40 touchdowns for only the third time in his career. Um, so that's not nothing. Uh, but if you look at what Aaron Rodgers did, he was arguably more efficient this year, at least when it comes to uh, staying away from turnovers. I mean, last year, it was 1% of his throws ended up in interceptions. This year, it's 0.8%. Right? So, and he's thrown a full 7% of his passes for touchdowns. Last year, that was at nine. So, look, Aaron Rodgers had a great year, a tremendous year. And I think that we can say that he played like an MVP and he should be the MVP and he will be the MVP. And and I, I we just put the odds up. I, I'm surprised that every sports book hasn't taken it off the board. I mean, I know you got to if mm-hmm. Rogers right now is a minus six fifty favorite. That means you got to bet six hundred and fifty bucks to make a hundred. Right. There 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 are tougher ways to make a hundred bucks than putting up <laughs> six fifty on a proposition that is that that seems to be a damn certainty at this point. Yeah. He's going to get at least you know a plurality of the MVP votes if he got 34 of the all-pro votes at quarterback in a year where there isn't a clear standout to win any of the other awards. However, however, five other players did go 50 when it comes to the all-pro voting. Cooper Cup got 50, unanimous. Mm -hmm. Aaron Donald, his teammate, 50, unanimous. Devontae Adams, TJ Watt, and Jonathan Taylor also racking up 50 votes making them unanimous all pro selection so any of those guys could get an mvp vote maybe not adams because i think his mvp vote would go to rogers but there could be a few but i'll be stunned i'll be stunned look i i make no firm advice here when it comes to gambling but if it's still on the board bet responsibly (laughs) bet your discretionary income for the month of january on aaron Rodgers to win mvp i don't think you'll regret it yeah, exactly. No, I don't I don't think so either. And I think what's interesting too is gonna be between TJ Watt, Aaron Donald. You know, maybe some votes will go to Aaron Donald for getting defensive player of the year over TJ Watt. But I, I just feel like when you tie the record for sacks, that's gonna be something that is gonna let you get to defensive player of the year. And I'd be interested to see what the vote is going to be for Cooper cup and Jonathan Taylor for offensive player of the year. Cause I think those two guys are the clear contenders for that as well. Quick break. We'll bust open the mailbag to wrap up this week of PFT PM right after this. PFT PM. Wrapping up this Friday edition, let's go straight to the mailbag. Dr. J144, if you have to slide all the chips in one way or the other or splash the pot if you are so inclined, as Teddy KGB was, do you think the eventual Super Bowl champion is playing in the super-duper wildcard round, Miles? Uh, the super-califragilisticexpialidocious wildcard wild card round. Uh, mm, ooh, no. Because I, uh, at least right now, I think the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl. So, no, I'll say no. I'll say yes. I'll say yes. Because if the 49ers go to Green Bay, and 
The way my picks for the weekend track, which means absolutely nothing, the 49ers will go to Green Bay. That gives me concern. If the Buccaneers go to Green Bay, that gives me concern. Uh, So I'll say yes. I'll say yes. They're all packed together too tightly this year. I think that we will have one of the 12 playing this weekend, ultimately hoisting the Lombardi. Neil watches PFT. Pasta and meatballs gut feeling. Which team does Deshaun Watson play for next season? I'm going to say the Dolphins. I don't don't care about anything that Stephen Ross said this week. I, I he wants Deshaun Watson, and Brian Flores I think didn't not want Deshaun Watson as much as he just wanted it to be over because it was a distraction for his team. Let's either do this or not do this. Having it hover over us is not good for anybody. I think that's what he disliked about it. I think with the benefit of the offseason, the fact that Watson wanted to go to Miami, I don't think changing coaches is going to matter. I think Stephen Ross may very well hire a coach that he thinks will be somebody who would want Deshaun Watson, and then they'll try to get it done. I think he's going to end up in Miami. Well, Miami makes the most sense just based on all the information that we've had, you know, before and the fact that we know that he's wanted to go there. I think the other team that really, really probably wants him is the Panthers. But to this point, still, there's been no reporting that Deshaun Watson would waive his no trade clause to go to the Carolina Panthers. So, I mean, based on all of that, yeah, I still think it's going to be Miami unless, you know, there's some wild card team or somebody like Philadelphia also could get into the mix. He had the chance to go to the Panthers. They were willing to take him without a resolution of his civil lawsuits. The Dolphins wanted the lawsuits settled. The Panthers were fine without it. He's still focused on the Dolphins. Last one, playoff cap. What's the relationship like between Tom Brady and Bruce Arians? Is Arians out if they lose? I don't know anything about the relationship between Brady and Arians, but but I do know this. Ownership wants Tom Brady to play for that team as long as as possible and if Bruce Arians is an impediment in any way to ensuring that Tom Brady will keep showing up and filling that stadium I could see Arians being nudged out especially if they fear losing Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich we've seen it in the past with the Buccaneers they nudged out Lovey Smith when they thought Dirk Cutter was leaving they have no qualms about firing coaches it's kind of a low-key thing that people don't notice Tony Dungy out John Gruden out Raheem Morris out Greg Schiano out Lovey Smith out Bruce Arians retire for medical reasons or something like that, and bowls are left which take over. Won't surprise me if it happens if they don't win the Super Bowl. Well, listen, I mean, the simple fact that Antonio Brown was a part of that team for as long as he was a part of that team stems directly from Tom Brady and the fact that Tom Brady was very comfortable throwing footballs to that guy. So it wouldn't shock me at all that if Tom Brady says, oh, won't someone rid me of this meddlesome coach, coach is gone. I could see Bruce Arians... Barring the line from Danny Glover and saying, I'm getting too old for this. You know what? And Arians would definitely say the word. That's it. We're done. Enjoy the game. See you Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.